Awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Hold your spot there. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're continuing in the series on the Lord's Prayer. We're calling it Pray Like Jesus Says. And uh, he gives us a model there in Matthew 6. It's also mentioned over in Luke chapter 11. But Matthew 6 is the, the passage that we're following in the series where he lays out for us what we call the Lord's Prayer, probably should be called the Disciples' Prayer, it's be a little bit more accurate, because he tells us how to pray. It doesn't mean that's the only way we ever pray. That'd be kind of weird if every single time we talked to God it was, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but it is a model for us to follow. And I would say, I think one of the things we're learning as we move through this kind of little by little over these couple of months, is that whenever we pray according to the way Jesus said, man, we hit the high points. We hit the, 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 the extremes of what God wants us to be praying for, and it helps to bring everything into perspective in our walks with Him. That's one of the things that's been eye-opening to me. Obviously, I've been familiar with the Lord's Prayer for a long time, but uh, I haven't ever really broken it down to the level that we have been over these last few weeks. And that, that's what's jumped out at me, is that it flows and it fits so well, and it paints this beautiful, big picture, not just of the Christian life, but of life, as we understand what Jesus is getting at here when He says to pray according to what we read as the Lord's Prayer. So, let me give you a couple of principles this morning, uh, two of them kind of shotgun approach really quickly, and I hope you'll jot them down because they're going to be key to everything we're going to look at in the Lord's Prayer today. The first principle is very simple. Again, you can jot it down. The principle is this, that when it's your world, you call the shots. When it's your world, you call the shots, regardless of what area of life that is. When it's your world, you're the one who gets to call the shots. And secondly, in addition to that, if you're not calling the shots... Right? If it's not your world and you don't get to call the shots, then you have to learn how to submit. When it's your world, you call the shots. If you're not calling the shots, then you have to learn ultimately how to submit. Now, we already know this in everyday life, right? In fact, I challenge you to put this into practice tomorrow. When you go into work, if you're not the supervisor, if you're not the boss, if you're not the owner of the business, go into work tomorrow or whatever day this week. And when you have staff meeting or employee meeting or whatever, I want you to just kind of walk in. And before the supervisor, before the boss ever says a word, I want you just to say to everyone there, thank you for being here. Uh, th thank you for being a part of this meeting that I've called today. Now please take good notes as I lead us through the agenda for this morning. Just try that and see how it goes, right? Because you'll understand and you'll be reminded that when it's your world, you call the shots. But if, it's, if you're not calling the shots, you have to learn to submit. Every employee understands that, that, that you have a supervisor supervisor, you have a boss. And if you are a supervisor, you have an owner of that business, right? And that person is in charge. They're the one who calls the shots. The employee has to learn ultimately to submit to their lead, to submit to their agenda, to submit to whatever they want. Every athlete knows this. Anybody who's ever played on a team understands this because a ball player understands the simple principle that they're not the one who calls the shots. They don't decide the, the uh, game day strategy. They don't decide how they're going to defend the opponent. They don't decide how they're going to, to uh, approach a, an offensive scheme or a defensive scheme or any of those kinds of things. That's the coach's responsibility. The ball player doesn't walk into the team meeting and say, all right, here's how we're going to handle and prepare for the game this coming weekend. They don't do that. Why? Because they're not in charge. It's not their world. They don't call the shots. The coach calls the shots, and ultimately everyone submits to their leadership, to their lead, to their agenda, to their ultimate authority. So when it's your world, you call the shots. When you are not the one calling the shots, then you learn to submit. Now, this, this is in normal everyday living. Here's what I'm not saying. 
I'm not saying that if the person in authority is acting unbiblically or immorally or unethically, then we just sort of go along with what they want. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying just in the normal scheme of things, the one whose world it is calls the shots. If you're not calling the shots, then you have to learn to submit. I'm also not saying that if you're not the one in charge, that you don't have a voice. I'm not saying that at all. There's a place for dialogue. There's a place for even at times, resistance and pushback that leads to dialogue. I'm not saying that if you're not the one calling the shots, you have no voice. I'm not saying that at all. But in general terms, when it's your world, you call the shots. If you're not calling the shots, then you and I have to ultimately learn to submit. Here's where it gets a little difficult. Here's where it gets problematic (laughs) because most of us don't really like to submit to someone else, most of us would prefer to call the shots, right? Most of us would rather be in the seat where we get to set the agenda, where we get to decide what's going on, where we get to kind of lay out our authority. Most of us would rather not submit. We would rather ultimately call the shots. Now, we've looked at this kind of from, a, from an everyday level, a human perspective. Let's blow it out a little bit. Let's go from micro to macro. Let's blow it out a little bit, and let's look at it from a full-blown life perspective. Here is what we find, that God is ultimately the one who is in charge. When we look at life from a wide lens perspective, God is the one in charge. It is His world. He makes it very clear, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? It says, in the beginning, God created, verse 5 words, establish who's in charge, whose world it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You go back through the rest of chapter one, everything that gets created is done by God. He didn't start with anything. We didn't make a contribution. And God said, hey, thanks for the ingredients. Let me just try to make something with this. No, it all started with God. From nothing, he created everything that we see. It's his world. He calls the shots. The rest of us ultimately have to learn to submit. We submit to his authority. We submit to his lead. We ultimately submit to his agenda. And here's what we find out. I've learned this not just as a person living, in li- living life in this world. I've learned this as a Christian that sometimes I'm not really good at submitting, even in relationship to God, sometimes I would rather call the shots. And I know for you, if you're at all like me, there are times that you would rather not submit to what God wants. You'd rather be the one calling the shots. And what happens is this, this, this wrestling match takes place. I'll even go a little further. We're in Georgia. This is a wrestling match between us and God right? We, for us, even as Christians, we love the Lord. We, we sing in choirs. We preach messages. We serve God. We serve other people. We love Jesus. And yet still there are times where we have this big old wrestling match going on where we are trying to find our place. It's not a dance where us and God are trying to figure it out. It is a wrestling match where we are trying to seize control from God in certain areas of our life because we don't want to submit to his lead. We don't want to ultimately submit to his authority. We would rather be the one who calls the shots, We see it not just in our lives, we see it in our culture. We see it in a lot of ways in our culture. Some of the hottest topics right now in our culture are these principles playing out. When it's your world, you call the shots. When you're not calling the shots, you have to learn to submit. We see that played out in our culture in so many big levels where there are hot debates that are taking place. One is in the area of abortion, for example. Some say, well, I don't know if we should talk about politics in the church. Well, that's not a political issue. It is a political issue, but long before it was political, it's biblical, 
right? The issue of abortion, it's more about life than it is rights. And when you look in Scripture, if we're going to allow God any voice at all, and if we believe this book to be true, and if we believe that it truly is what it says, it's God's Word to us, then what we find in this book is very clear. In Psalm 139, for example, it says that God, the psalmist says that God tells us that, that before any of our days even came into being, that they were ordained for us, they were written in his book, that we are fearfully, that we are wonderfully made, that in the secret places of our mother's womb that he formed us and he fashioned us, that he has created us. It's a very clear picture. Long before ever politicians ever grabbed hold of the issue, a very clear picture written 3,000 years ago right, of where life begins. You even see in Jeremiah chapter 1, when God calls Jeremiah, he comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, before you were even born, I knew you, right? I knew what I wanted to do through your life before you ever even came into existence. You get to the Gospels, Luke chapter 1, and you see Mary, who is carrying Jesus. He's not been born. She is conceived. She's carrying Jesus. She steps into the presence of her cousin, Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1. She is carrying her child, John the Baptist, right? And as the two come together, Mary, carrying Jesus in her womb, steps into the presence of Elizabeth, carrying John the Baptist in her womb. Luke tells us in his gospel, Luke chapter 1, you can check it out. It says that when, when Mary stepped into Elizabeth's presence, that Elizabeth's baby in her womb, John the Baptist, leapt for joy. Why? He was in the presence of the Lord. There was life there. And yet our culture, listen, don't go political. Let's go biblical for a moment. The culture wants to try to wrestle away from what is rightfully God's. God decides life. God lays the parameters for us. And the culture tries to redefine what God has already defined as absolute. Because the culture, and us included, would rather not submit, would rather call the shots. Another hot topic, marriage and sexuality. You know, God, despite how Scripture lays out, if we believe that God has spoken and if we believe that His Word is true, God lays it out from Old Testament to New Testament so clearly for us of what marriage is. It's a husband and a wife. I mean, in Genesis it says that, a, that, 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 a, that they will leave their father and mother and they'll cling to one another. It's this per- beautiful picture of, of a husband and a wife, Ephesians chapter 5 and countless other passages that deal with it. In regards to sexuality, so often in, in this book, Especially in Paul's letters, it tells us that, that, that sexuality is to be expressed only in the confines of, of biblical marriage, of a marriage relationship, and yet the culture would rather not submit. The culture would rather say, this is our world, we're going to decide how this operates, and we would rather call the shots. So what happens is one big mess. Right where lives are devastated and regrets and 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 uh, uh, comp- uh, complications and consequences that come, not because God's design somehow was faulty, but because the culture decided, and sometimes we as people decide, you know what? It's not just God's world; it's mine, and I'm going to call the shots because I want to be in charge. You look at the issue of gender, man. I mean conversations happening now that weren't even on the table 10 years ago. God's made it clear. I remember being, when I, when I was preparing for ministry, I remember we had to memorize, when I was in seminary, we had to memorize a verse. This was about 112 years ago when I was in seminary, and I, we had to memorize this verse. It was Genesis 1:27. Take, take a look at what it says. It was such a simple verse. God created man in his own image. That's powerful, by the way. You are an image bearer of God. 
that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That is the creative design of the creator whose world it all belongs to him. He calls the shots. Our call is to submit. I remember in seminary, we, we, uh, some class that I had, I can't remember which class it was specifically, but we had to memorize scripture. It's like, seriously, we're in seminary, we've got to memorize the Bible. And uh, so we had to memorize these passages. That was a joke, by the way. We had to memorize these passages of scripture, and this was one of them. I still remember it. I remember thinking, like, why are we memorizing this first? There's no deep theology in this. Come on, there, there's no Jesus in this. I mean, it's not like taught about salvation or any of that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking, why are we memorizing this verse? How little did I know? That like 21 years later, this would be up for debate, right? This simple discussion to where uh, gender is now viewed as fluid, and it's up to the person to decide which gender they're going to be. And, it, and, it's, uh, and, and it, it's fluid, fluid. it's not static, it's always changing and, and always evolving, and, and we just sort of decide what we want it to be for us. That is the culture, th- that would be an example of people saying, this is my world, and I call the shots. Why? Because we don't want to submit, we would rather be the one in charge. And it's a principle that plays out all through life that we have to get a grip on, whether it's as an athlete, whether it's as a coworker, whether it's in life dealing with the culture in which we live, whether it's our relationship with God. When you are in charge, when it's your world, you call the shots. And if you're not calling the shots, you and I must learn to submit. But we don't often like to submit because we would rather call the shots. Most of the moral issues of our culture, whether it's the four that I just mentioned or many, many others, most of the moral issues of our culture ultimately reflect a deviation from God's design. You think about it. You can make a list this long. And for the moral issues in our culture, the reason they're an issue is because they reflect a deviation from God's design. Why is that? Because we don't like to submit and we'd rather call the shots. But let's get personal for a second. It's easy to talk about the culture. By the way, let me remind us that we're, as Christians, we're not against the culture. Jesus died for the culture. Jesus died for the world, for God so loved the world. That was a fallen world then. It's a fallen world now. Our goal is ultimately, yes, one, on one layer to stand on truth, but number two, it's with compassion to proclaim it to a world who needs a Savior, just the same way that we've needed a Savior. So we don't hate people who have a view different than ours. Hopefully we love them the way that Jesus loves us in all of our warts and faults and sins as well. But we have to understand that for us, whenever we think about as Christians, as followers of Jesus, the topic of sin, that even though we can easily go against where the culture is, we have to also take a look at our own lives. And when we are faithful to take a look at our own lives and the areas where we fall and where we gravitate away from truth, where we choose to disobey, what we find is yet another simple principle that every single sin in our life that we commit in my life, in your life as well, every single time we commit a sin, what is happening beneath the surface is a rejection of God's authority. Every time I sin, I'm rejecting God's authority. I'm saying, I'm the one who calls the shots here. It is a rejection of God's authority, and it is a declaration of our own independence every single time we sin. And so whenever we know God wants us to do something, whether it's in our marriage or whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in some personal private area of our lives, 
If we know what God wants, and this word has already spoken clearly to us every single time in that area, whatever area it may be, if we know what God wants and we step outside of that, the Bible calls that sin, but what's happening beneath the surface is that it is an actual rejection of God's authority in our life, and it is a planting. I mean, we're talking Iwo Jima, boom, planting the flag of our own independence that says in the face of God, who is holy and perfect and pure and in charge, it says, this is my world this is my decision. I'm going to do this my way because I call the shots. And if we ever wonder, man, it just seems extreme that Jesus had to die on a cross for my sins. I mean, come on, what what is the big deal with it? That's the big deal. It's God who's holy and perfect, and it's us as people who were sinful, who were fallen, who have planted the flag of our own independence in rejection against him. It takes a life to pay for that, a perfect life, a a perfect and a pure substitute. That's why he had to die. It's amazing that God would even offer us salvation, isn't it? In light of that, unless we think we're better than we really are, every time we sin, it's a rejection of his authority. And it's a planting of that flag of independence, a statement of our independence before God who's perfect. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Brooks, my stomach's about to growl. I'm getting hungry. I thought this was about the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) And it is. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 6. Let's jump in. Let's read the whole thing and then look at the passage we're going to focus on today. Matthew chapter 6. Let's let's begin in verse number 9. You can read along with me. Matthew writes, as I mentioned earlier, there are two Gospels that share the Lord's Prayer. We're just using the one in Matthew. Luke tells us that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, had asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so this is what he gave him. He said in verse 9, Matthew 6, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 10 is where we're focusing today in this message. And verse 10 just simply reminds us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All through the Lord's Prayer at the very beginning, Jesus has already established certain truths for us. As I mentioned, it really, this Lord's Prayer paints a beautiful picture of the Christian life. It blows it out to where we understand how it all fits. One, Jesus says, pray our Father. He's not just my Father collect, uh, independently. He's also our Father. If you bear the name of Jesus, whether you're in this room, whether you're watching online, whether you live in another state, whether you live in another country, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are family, right? And we have our, our family by virtue of the common Savior in Jesus, and we have a common relationship with God who is our Father. It's a family relationship. There is a commitment that's there. There's a covenant that's there, and God as our perfect Father will not abandon us, and He will not forsake us, and He will not hang us out to dry. No matter what your your picture on a human level was of a father, whether it was positive or whether it was negative, God as our Father through Christ is always faithful, and He's always good, and He's a God who protects, and He provides, and He's always there for us. Jesus says, as we pray to him as our father, we recognize 
that he is in heaven. He has all power. He is in control. He has created it all. He is transcendent above and beyond, but he's also imminent. There's two good theological terms for it. He's also imminent. He's here and he's near. And when we cry out to him, he hears us. He walked this same earth as we do through the person of Jesus. And as, the, as, as we just sang a few moments ago, through the Holy Spirit who indwells us, he's right here with us. Never can you say God is not with me if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an amazing truth. He also tells us in the prayer, hallowed is your name, holy is your name. The goal is that we live in a way to where his, his holiness is magnified. His holiness is, is put out there like we're his megaphone, right? And the way we live and the way we treat others and the message that we proclaim of the gospel is magnifying for everyone else to be able to see and to hear that he is a God who's perfectly holy and he's perfectly loving. And then Jesus gets to this part, to the next prayer. He says, pray also your kingdom come and your will be done. Every single kingdom has a king. And all throughout Scripture, we see how God is spoken of in those terms. Jesus is spoken of in those terms as a king. In fact, take a look at what it says on the screen behind me, Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Look at how the psalmist mentions this. He says it so clearly, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. Uh, remember what I said at the very beginning, that whoever, uh, the, the one that the world belongs to is the one who calls the shots. The, all of this is God's. In the first century context, whenever Matthew would have written his gospel, he would have written it in a context of Roman rule. The Romans believed whoever was their uh, emperor, uh, whoever was their Caesar, carried qualities of divinity. That's what the Romans believed in the context in which Matthew would have been written. Here's what God says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1. Look at what it says here. The, the writer in Proverbs said, let's go ahead and bring that, that, that one up if we can real quickly. Proverbs Okay, I got a Bible. Let me use my Bible. Here we go. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. It does not matter what kingdom you reign in. It does not matter what nation you may lead, whether it's a U.S. president, whether it's a world leader, whether it's in an era long ago, or whether it's here and now in the 21st century. What God says is, no matter what kingdom, so to speak, that you reign in, God says, I still reign over you. And no matter how much perceived power that you may have as a king or as a leader, your heart, God says, is like a channel of water. I can steer it wherever I want. I can do through you and with you whatever, God says, I decide to do. Why? Because this is my world, and I call the shots. And if you're not calling the shots, no matter whether you're king, president, or someone else, your role is to submit. You know, when we begin to see and understand that simple truth, we begin to recognize that we have a role to play in this world. And the role is that we submit to God's leadership and God's reign. Whenever they use the word kingdom in the New Testament, more often than not, it refers to the word reign. When Jesus says pray for God's kingdom to come, it doesn't mean pray that God will come and he's going to build a moat and he's going to put a castle and there's going to be turrets and there's going to be people and white horses and armor and there's going to be a drawbridge. He's not saying that. It's not an earthly kingdom with an earthly fortress. He's not talking about that. The word kingdom 
simply means reign. And when Jesus says, pray that your kingdom come, Jesus says, pray that God's reign would come. Pray that across this world, in this world that he's created, in every nation of this world, because God heart, God's heart beats for the nations. Pray that down to a person in every church, in every person's life, every single person sitting in this room right now, pray that they would understand that God's kingdom is the one that reigns, that his, his desire is to reign in us, to reign in our decisions, to reign in our lives, to reign in the course of our lives, the, 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 uh, the direction of our lives. God desires to reign, and he calls the shots, and our role is to submit and to follow his lead. And so I, want, I just want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. So how evident is it for you in your life, in the areas of your life, How evident is it that God's the one calling the shots? In fact, I would even ask, who is calling the shots for you? Who's calling the shots in your finances? Who's calling the shots in your decision-making? Who's calling the shots in your marriage? Who's calling the shots in the moral area of your life? Who's calling your shots on a Friday night when you're out with the guys? Who's calling the shots when nobody's looking and you can get away with anything? Who's calling the shots? Who's calling the shots in the way that you handle yourself and the way you treat people who are different from you? Who's calling the shots in regards to forgiving other people who may have heard you? Who's calling those shots? Because whoever's calling the shots has a lot to say about who you think's in charge, whose world it is. If your life is yours, you'll call the shots. Most of us have tried that. It didn't turn out well. But if your life is his, if your life belongs to him, then you realize he calls the shots. And your role is not to compete with his authority. It's to submit and to follow. And the better we do that, here's the thing. The more fulfilling life becomes. And in addition to that, the better we follow and submit to his lead and his authority in our lives because we're his, it's his world. The better we do that, the more of a witness we are for him. People on your campus and people in your workplace and people in your neighborhood and people under your roof get to see what he looks like because you're just another servant living out a life of submission to his reign, to his authority, and to his lead. You know, I was thinking this week, of an illustration to demonstrate all this. And it's not a, no illustration is perfect. This one's certainly not. But, you know, I thought about food. I don't know. Maybe I'm, do, I'm doing my five for five tomorrow on manna. And I'm going to talk about bread. That's a shameless plug for tomorrow's five for five. And uh, so maybe food was on my mind. But I thought about this illustration. Like, like, what illustrates this? And I thought about the illustration of a buffet. That a lot of times for us as Christians even, not, not just not the world really, because the world's not necessarily thinking about God as much, but for us, a lot of times we look at obedience, don't we, as a buffet. You know, whether you're thinking Ryan's or whether you're thinking um, Golden Corral, you know, some other buffet that you have in mind. A lot of times we look at obedience as like stepping up to a buffet and it's like, you know what, I'll have a little bit of obedience here and I'll have a lot of obedience there. And here's the dessert obedience. I'll have about three or four of those levels of obedience. But, but this obedience here, I don't really want any of that and none of that, thank you. And that is definitely not for me. And we treat obedience as Christians, don't we, like a buffet. Now, here's the thing. This is what came to me. I don't claim this to be a divine inspiration by any means. It falls apart at a lot of levels. But, but, But I would say obedience is a lot less like a buffet and a lot more like school lunch. 
That's what I'd say. And I'm going to talk about modern day school lunch where you've got all these different kiosks. You get to pick whatever you want. I'm talking about school lunch back in the day where it was a Tuesday and you stepped up to the plate and it was warm milk, meatloaf, and a side of beets. That's what you got, right? And it's not like, hey, I don't really want this. What's next? You didn't have a say. That wasn't your world. It was the lunch lady's world, okay? And if the milk was warm, too bad. That's what you get. You get what you get. You don't pitch a fit, right? If it's meatloaf and beets and they didn't make it up dessert because the other people in the grade before you got it all, this is what you get. You don't have a say. It's not your world. You don't call the shots. You have to learn to submit, enjoy your meatloaf and beets, right? That was it. And to me, that's kind of a picture of this. But here's where it breaks down. Here's where it falls apart, just a little bit, that illustration. And it falls apart in this way, that God is a God who loves us. And the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and I would even say, and to counterfeit, and to sell us a bill of goods of what we think is going to make us happy. And the thief says, just try it, just give it a shot, and it's all going to work out well. And it's one big lie, but Jesus has come that he might give us life and give us life more abundantly. And in the Christian life, when we choose to submit, it's not meatloaf and beets every day. Man, I'm telling you, you step up to the table, and it's a God who loves you, and it's a God who's proven himself for you, and it's a God who sees you as the apple of his eye, who chose to die himself in your place in the person of Jesus, and he desires to bless you, and he desires to take care of you, and yes, it's on his terms and not ours, and it doesn't mean we're going to have fat wallets full of cash, and it doesn't mean that we're never going to get sick, and it doesn't mean we're going to have every single material possession we pray for. It doesn't mean any of that at all. It means, though, that when we step up to the table and we say, Lord, I live in a fallen world, and I'm even a fallen person myself, but I've taken you at your word, and I give myself to Jesus, and here I am, your servant and your kingdom, reporting for duty. That king doesn't say, go away and stay in your room for two weeks and don't come out. That king says, welcome to the family. I love you, and I'll do anything that I can to help you. It's a blessing, (laughs) and it's life. And we think that life and freedom comes by moving the boundaries and redefining what is true and right. And we think that freedom comes whenever restrictions fall away, and it doesn't work that way. A goldfish doesn't find freedom because he's released from his environment in the fishbowl and laid out in the pasture to enjoy life on his own terms. He dies there. That's not freedom. Freedom comes when we live in the confines that our loving Father has already put in place. Why? Because it's His world. He calls the shots. And when we're not calling the shots, we're called to submit. And when we do, (laughs) life still gets hard. And you'll take a few arrows in your back for standing for what's true and right. And you'll have some people walk away. Jesus did. But at the end of the day, if it's just you and Him... It's going to be worth it. So what does it mean when we pray, your kingdom come? How do we usher that in? One, we pray for it. Two, we submit to it because it's his world, not ours. It's his life, not ours. We're bought with a price. And three, we proclaim it (laughs) so others can get in the kingdom the way we have by grace. Hey, if you don't know him today, trying to do a better life so that he'll accept you isn't going to make a lot of sense. What he wants is surrender. 
And if you've never given your life to Jesus today, let, let me just say, man, it doesn't matter how long the train of wreckage of sin is there. He's already paid for it in full. And he will meet you right where you are today. Whether that's a ditch or a train wreck or much success, he will meet you there if you're willing to say, Jesus, I've sinned, would you forgive me and take over? And I promise you, he'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being loving Father to those who know you through Jesus. God, we look in our culture, and I, I certainly hope this is not a message that has come off as some angry preacher getting up there railing against the world. Lord, that is certainly not the intent, but there is a place for us to show the world for what it is. It's a fallen world and a fallen system. Fallen voices that have a false way of living that lead to nothing more than a dead end. And Lord, in so many of the hot topic areas of our culture today, they reveal what happens when we deviate from your system and from your truth because we're not in charge. This is not our world. Lord, we don't get to call the shots. No matter how many rights we think we have, this is your world. You created it from nothing. You are without beginning and without end. You are in charge. You call the shots. And God, we thank you that you are a God who is loving and kind and good. <laughs> and Lord, you could have just done us so badly when we've sinned and had every reason to do it and all power to carry it out. But God, because you are loving and because you're kind and because you're good and because you're a God of grace, you chose to redeem rather than to destroy us. God, we're grateful for that. So, Lord, help us to remember and to realize that as we live out our days, those days go much better when we find our role of submitting to your lead, following your lead. And may our prayer be, Lord, consistently, not our world, not our kingdom come, but, Lord, your kingdom, your reign, your will be done. And so, God, for those who don't know you today, Lord, remind them of a simple truth that they're never going to know you by being better, joining a church. They're only going to know you when they give their lives to Jesus. God who came and died and rose, ready to forgive sin, if we only call on you, Jesus, by faith. Thank you for your rescue. Lord, help us to proclaim your kingdom's reign every day, to live it out, to demonstrate it as we live a life of obedience, but to share with people the beautiful message of the gospel, that we don't have to stay stuck in our sin that we can have forgiveness and life on our Creator's terms through Jesus Christ. We praise you for who you are, for what you do, and it's in His name we pray.